It just seemed right. Yeah. You feeling it? Mm-hmm. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. That is your theme song. It's my thing. Welcome to Hello Hello. Allison Stoloff. Happy Head of Marketing. Notel Inc. Yes. HQ in New York. I mean, you're responsible for the production of many podcast episodes and their marketing, but rarely a guest. That's true. I finally get a voice. It's always nice. Well, you you actually chirped in a bit on that Martha Stewart one on uh, on In the Know. That's true. I think I always view myself as there are people who are going to be, I don't want to say the puppets versus the puppeteer. What? <laughs> <laughs> I like to or I like to orchestrate. I actually don't like to be mm, behind the center. scenes. I love to be behind the scenes. I love mm. to be influencing and impacting, but not. Those are more positive ways to describe it. I think right. Allison the puppeteer, if that becomes that the bad. nickname that sticks. That sounds very bad. I'm gonna <laughs> let's let's hope everyone listening in starts oh, calling you God. the puppeteer. Oh no. Ma- Mistress of puppets. Oh, That's no. the Metallica album from uh, the 1990s. Yeah. Yeah, no, I won't use that word again. That's definitely not a good way to market. I should be a better marketer. <laughs> tagline. But, um, but yeah, an I, right. I think the thing is, I I enjoy. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily like attention. That's not my thing. Hmm. I don't enjoy it. Well. We're going to sell enterprise deals. With, with <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that uh, the stuff that you have been doing at Notel for now, it's a year and a bit, a year and a half, mm-hmm. a year and a few quarter. months. When did you actually join? So it was very end of June. So I, I say July because it was mm-hmm. June 30th or something. Might as well be July. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've touched every aspect of the identity of Notel and how it's expressed and people's awareness of it in the last year and a half and um you know rebuilt the whole way we do it so it's about time we get to you great we gotta market the marketer market the marketer the puppeteer puppeteer so all right so you joined last summer and i actually don't think we even met in that process of you deciding to join i think that like maybe you had met edward or something so one of my friends from business school uh alex carell Oh, that guy. So yeah, he, he's great. He t- said, you should talk to Notel. They're doing really great things. Yeah. And he's sort of like a London art-dealing hustler he, guy. He's mysterious. Mm-hmm. I, hope, I hope he hears that. I hope I'll send him this, this Alex, podcast. you're very mysterious. You're very mysterious. She's a puppeteer, um, and you're he's, a He's brilliant uh, and mysterious. Usually, those can go hand in hand. Um, and he said I should I should chat and so I came in and chatted with Edward and you were in New York at the time though I was in New York yeah um I because you went to business school at Stanford and you met him there he went to London you went to New York like straight after right after business school so right after business school I came to New York I always wanted a New York story so I, I don't live with regrets that's one thing about me I do not if I want to do something I do it I do not kind of wish or hope and so for me, I always wanted a New York chapter. It was something I had to have, and I knew I, you know, I might as well do it sooner rather than later. And so I, at the time, because I'd been in tech uh, before business school, and when I moved here in, I think it was 2014, it still felt, you know, it was it was still 
somewhat small and boutique-y, right? <laughs> New York. No, New no, York, from, no, a charming city with no, a few from, little tech companies here right, and there. But it, but it was, and I, I actually struggled to find... I interviewed with Squarespace, Compass before they, oh, yeah. there were like, like 10 people like cool working companies. there. Yeah. Um, I think Harry's at the time. And there weren't a lot of options. I ended up landing at Oscar. And, and, oh, yeah. Um, what an amazing company. And it's, it was an amazing company. Um, but, but the tech scene has been, in, it's been so fascinating to watch it grow. It's now been, I guess I've been here five and a half years. Wow, that sounds like a long time. It's, it's a lot different. It is. It is a lot different, and I think hmm. um, I think what's happening here in this ecosystem is is really really exciting. Um, there's a lot of oh gee thanks. A lot of great tech. New York yeah, appreciates your compliments. Yeah. <laughs> so you came for Oscar? No, you came for adventure. Well, I came for New York. I needed to live here. So so hmm. it was. I didn't look at any companies in San Francisco. <coughs> I was. Committed. Very set on. I'm moving to New York City. I'm going to find a job. That obviously I want, but that fits in the city. Uh-huh. All right. Well, let's do the backstory that gets you there. So you um, you grew up in the sticks, somewhere in the chilly northwest, in some place that has a name. Chilly northwest, Portland. Oh, Portland. Also known as Portland. Oh yeah, yeah. For the TV show fame. So born and raised. Breweries. It wasn't cool when I grew amazing up. Amazing bookstores, tattoos, exactly. monster trucks. Yes, everything that's me. Logging people, truckers. Lumberjacks, flannel. Granola. And that is you. So that's you at age 14. You know. Flannel, stovepipe jeans, <laughs> I, I Nirvana, never, CDs. I, I kind of never felt like I fit in there. I hope my parents don't hear that because that, that will break their hearts in many ways. But I liked it. It never felt like me. I actually, this is crazy, but from I think age five, I was commit. I wanted to move to the East Coast. Like really? I, and I had never been there. Age five? Yeah. I was, I wanted adventure, I wanted something different, uh-huh. I might have been six or seven, but I, from an early age, wanted to move. Hmm. Um, I grew up playing tennis, so I was a tennis player growing up, I played competitively, hmm. that kind of shaped me, because I... Did you travel for the tennis, too, then? I you did. might have been, in, like, at some championship tournament in Baltimore or I something? I did Tucson, yeah, hmm. mostly West Coast. Um, so mm-hmm. I did, I played tennis growing up. Episcopalian and school, nuns, beatings, strict That was rules, high school. Cold temperature. Yes, so I grew up. No um, feelings, all reason, <laughs> devoutness. Was, it was hard. I'll tell you one thing about it. So they gave you, um, if you got in trouble, they gave you something called a jug. It stood for justice under God. Oh, boy. And so it's essentially like a detention slip. So I parked in the fire lane, I got a jug, and it meant that I had to go clean tables at lunch. It was terrible. I mean, it was just so stupid. Well, that's okay, but it was embarrassing. It's embarrassing. As a, you know, 13, 14-year-old. You're, like, cleaning the tables while everyone else is yeah, eating and pointing at you. and you have no time to eat. So hmm. I wouldn't say, yeah, if I were to do it over again, would I have gone to a Catholic school? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But, um... I guess it shaped me in some way, right? Mm -hmm. All right, so then college, tennis in college. College, played tennis. I went to Colgate. Engineering mindset. (sighs) I don't know about engineering. Um, My major, uh, international relations in Spanish. Oh, Um, totally not. Humanities. No, and what Mm -hmm. I liked about IR was it's um, econ, history. I love history. Oh, yeah. So all our wartime stuff and the Napoleons and the Sun Tzus, you're into it? Yeah. Oh, I've I've read read, um, Art of War. I haven't read, I've read Josephine Bonaparte books. I actually haven't read. Really? Yeah. You're like a total girl power Yeah, advocate. oh, I love it. My favorite is Catherine the Great. Oh. And Cleopatra. Those are my, like, two. Oh, those are, you rotate those as your Halloween costumes them. every year? Yes. And I, no, but I wish. <sighs> um, I just found out that HBO has a Catherine the Great special 
Mm. And I'm going to. I saw it last night. I'm going to go. I think I'm going to get into Catherine the Gate. Great. I've been, you know, I followed Napoleon into Moscow and the retreat and all that. And I've been reading about Alexander and this. The dude. He's fascinating. I mean, he died when he was, I think, thirty. And and, in what he accomplished, mm. Alexander the Great from Macedonia. Um, And what's interesting is Macedonia today is not the Macedonia of the past. It actually was Greece. Mm-hmm. So Macedonia is apparently supposed to... Greece is forcing Macedonia, I think, to rebrand. they got to change its name? Yeah. Oh, my Lord. I, I've heard that. Uh, anyway. Well, you know, I do need to get more into that, dude, because he actually went to India. I was thinking of the the Tsar Alexander guy that beat Napoleon. Oh, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that guy looks back at Catherine and all these amazing people. And yeah. definitely Cleopatra. I've got to learn more about her. All I know about her is, you know, whatever. She looked amazing with that whole thing. And well, she was Also the Anthony and Cleopatra thing. Anthony and Caesar. Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. So she, so she, she dated had two. Both. She dated them both. Mm. Um, she was also really young. I mean, it was just fascinating. What's great about Catherine the Great is she really modernized Russia. And that was so interesting because at the time, Russia was, well, some might Still argue. Still kind of is, yeah, like farming. Know, yeah, yeah, considered, you know, not, not necessarily, I don't know if it's like elite, but uh, sophisticated, right? Yeah. And she brought the arts. And she brought, so she essentially brought culture. And it was a time of great... Um, uh, I think, yeah, growth from a cultural perspective and almost an enlightenment. And, you know, it's interesting to see kind of where it is yeah, today. I think Voltaire was her tutor or something. I think so. Yeah. I read the book is quite large. And then he got a cold, or maybe Descartes, and then he got a cold and died. Oh. Whatever, that's, that's just why yeah. it's memorable. And Aristotle was Alexander the Great's tutor. This, the role yes. of philosophers, for me, yes. I remember that part. But Okay, so Catherine's on the reading list. All right, now, at a certain point... You're at Facebook, then you're at Stanford Business School, and then you're uh, at Oscar, and these are all wonderful places, but then you show up after having been at a smaller startup yeah, last summer. Yeah, I wanted summer. to start my own. Originally, I, I always, th- so I actually, from a young age, thought I would be an entrepreneur. Um, and I think I'm coming to realize that I actually don't, I don't know if that's my story. Um, and I'm trying to understand, like, why that changed. I think I enjoy helping, I enjoy helping, helping companies scale. Um, but I don't, I don't know if, if mm-hmm. I want to be an entrepreneur. Well, you've been kind of rounding the traps on all the different functional disciplines, right? Like, so with Oscar, as far as I know, you were, like, calling on health systems and sneaking into hospitals and trying to get doctors yes. to, like, use the software. Facebook, there was some kind of operations I was, was only four different teams there. Mm-hmm. So I was in customer support. I was in UX. I was in uh, something called platform operations where I was dealing with uh, farm built spam from all these oh. apps, figuring out how do we detect working with engineering to figure out how do we detect spammy actors. Hmm. So that, I think I might be a spammy actor. What app did you have? Oh, I now, just did my in nature. your personal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you would have been, if you would have built a, an app for Facebook, <laughs> it definitely would have been taken down. Okay, and then uh, at um, Notch? Yeah, so I was COO. Uh, so I did a little bit of everything. Um, we it was, it was interesting because I got to help with the, you know, the fundraising process, so... Mm-hmm. And that was fun. You learned how cool that is. Yeah, it's tough. How rewarding. It's and really... That's a tough thing. I flew out to San Francisco. We met with, you know, a bunch of different VCs. Um, but, yeah, so I've always... I've, I've pretty much always been in startups. I actually had a very quick stint after college at a law firm. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Oh, yeah. My dad's a lawyer. My grandfather was a lawyer. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I thought, eh, I'll go to, I went to Skadden Arps in D.C. So I was there for a year. Cultural. Really did not cult, like it. Cultural uh, 
I learned no hard skills besides uh, scanning and Mm. uh, putting pages into a binder, which... Were the people nice? Um, I wouldn't say I was treated badly. I would say it's very, I mean, it's very transactional. But I think as a, as a legal assistant, you're, you're not necessarily doing, at least I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was doing anything creative. And that's Mm -hmm. what I was missing. I was missing creativity. Mm. And, and at a startup, and especially in operations, I mean, you can... Yeah, you move it around, find all kinds of messed up stuff, and you fix it. Right. Yeah. I'm a problem solver. That's what I like to do. Problem solver. That would you're be my tagline. The puppeteer problem solver. <laughs> puppeteer or problem solver. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're whittling it down. <coughs> yes. <coughs> Excuse me. We need a cough button on this. Um. Yes. Okay, so uh, here. Tell us about the operation you have been constructing. Yeah. So when I came into Notel, I mean, obviously there there was a marketing team in in place. It was quite nascent, right? Yeah, it was really small. And it's one of the hardest things in the business. It's like every year we're like so much bigger, and things that were like almost in good shape for last year by now are creaking. And yeah, but it, but things take first of all things take time, right? I think I enjoy building teams, and so for me it was really about figuring out and and with not having a marketing background it was kind of an extra lift because it wasn't just about finding the right people. It's like, what are the boxes you actually even need? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah what how on marketing... earth did you accept an assignment in marketing as you, if you keep claiming that you don't know anything about it? So I, it's funny, when I came to Notel, I told, I don't know if it was Jonathan, I said, I want to work on the revenue side of the business because uh-huh. I had only worked in more of an ops role oh, where yeah, it was more about operation. optimization. Yeah. And so I was pretty adamant about that. And this, they said that there was this role. It was called revenue marketing. I honestly had to Google had that. Revenue to in understand the name. No, they just made that up. Meant. I don't think that's even a thing. Is that a thing? Did, was I, there a Google search? There is. A, there is. Uh-huh. It's not super clear. Mm-hmm. It's a bit hazy. It's basically saying marketing should be, you know, contri- it's marketing contributing in a pipeline. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, I don't think it's anything mm-hmm. um, quite quite crazy but um, fine so but then some things changed and your dominion has expanded quite, quite yeah a bit. so so some things changed but ultimately you know, it was figuring out how do i align marketing with the the business goals and i i do a every 12 months i i think it's very important as a leader to look at your team look at where the business is going and and kind of reassess right because things constantly change so a marketing team that i built um, with, with roles and responsibilities a year ago, or it might look very, very different. And mm-hmm. it's important for us all to have that kind of mindset because you, you need to ultimately align with the direction that the business is going. So um, at the time, yeah, I, I think I built a team that made sense for for um, Well, I, I don't know. Direction. I mean, it's not going to, there's no way that, it, it, it's not going to be that different, but yeah, no, like things no, 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 evolve, no. right? So no, we, I think priorities, yeah, right? Yeah, not not yeah. the actual, you know, not not the fundamentals, mm-hmm. but I think where you invest the dollars, right? Mm. That is going to change. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. What did we? What did we? What did we start building? So we started having like a performance operation that would basically spend money to get customers' attention and interest, and so some of that was on the internet. Some of that was like running some events and operationalizing those. We had to do some basic hygiene, like make sure the website is good, the materials are good, Mm -hmm. the content area, basically. Um, Right. Send email and other communication through various platforms. So there's some performance stuff, some content stuff. Right. We have public and press relations. That's the thing that we've been instrumenting, getting better Mm -hmm. at and figuring out who are the right people to support us on it. It's been kind of a gift, right? We had a very 
uh, well-prepared environment around mm-hmm. us uh, to, to give us a lot of attention, and that's been, that's right, been one of the other Right, to fuel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think what the team basically evolved from, initially when I joined, it was a team that was focused on essentially more field marketing, performance marketing, right? It was events, essentially, was the biggest part of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we've really expanded because it's so important for us, especially serving enterprise, to really build a brand. And so this brand component has been a huge add. So that involves PR, it involves you know the content marketing angle, um, but those are the pieces of the team that have really um, that I've focused on growing mm-hmm. over the past. Yeah, well, that, six some years. of that was like thought, and some of that was you know thought and problem solving and invention, and then some of that was the design and deployment of people and tools that would take over and and get all that stuff in the field Mm -hmm. and that thought process actually was a really big thing right so I mean I guess this whole year pretty much until two weeks ago we were cleaning up and consolidating how we talked about ourselves and how we looked and then we were sort of improving it and taking it to another level and then we were deepening it and enriching it and I think that's one of the really cool things people would have seen this last few weeks of September October in New York and and on digital and some of our identity at other events. Right. right? We finally we look the same and now we're focused on how do we you know speaking the same language um, pitching the no-tell vision, right, in a way that's consistent across the globe. Um, so how do we express the, that brand identity now? And, and you brought on some amazing people for that. I had Leslie on Hello, Hello as well. And mm-hmm. um, how, So how do we express it? What's our, what's our brand identity? What are the things that are special and notable about how we are looking now versus before? Mm. So, I mean, I would say before we just didn't have a consistent brand identity. And so I think right now we have a consistent look and feel. Mm-hmm. We had a, a, a great brand, right? And I think brand ultimately, I mean, it starts with the founders, right? And I think you have like this maverick, right, kind of personality. And I think that has extended into the brand and how we've thought about the brand. Um, I would say the new brand identity has has kind of that maverick element, but it also has this flexible element, which I think... And it visually resonates. It right. moves around. It has right. all these parts. There's around. all these geometric objects in there that are all like... Exactly. S- it it's like they're static do. and yet they're moving. Yeah. Completely. It speaks to what we do. So I think now that we have the visual element down, I think... There's reds, this, blues, whites. Yes. We have the... It's it's kind of the corally color. Um, the navy is the signature color because a lot of every other player in the space, similar space, they're all, they all have... It's black and white. Yeah. Yeah. And so trying to, you know, also be, be a little bit different um, in that respect. So we definitely, I think, come a long way. In yeah, that red and blue energy. together is really energetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the blue is really deep and it, it feels reliable. Mm-hmm. And so it has reliable, positive exactly. qualities. Yeah. Smart, reliable. In a way, the black and white, I don't know why other people do that at all. It has a very aloof, you know, like sometimes it's used in luxury, mm-hmm. sometimes it's used in engineering. Right. It's kind of cold. It's like not Uber, there for you. Right. Uber, Uber does. Yeah, for them it's like a luxury kind of thing. Right. Right. But yeah, so okay, that's the sort of visual, that's what the visual language is trying to say. And also actually some of the iconography has simplified. So while we have burst open more geometric objects, we, that lockup's not around as much, that circle with the triangle in it. The circle with the triangle. So we are trying to use the word mark. Yeah. We will get to a point where everyone identifies. Uh-huh. Like right? when they used to write Apple computer yes. under the picture of the Apple. And we, we, we will know we have made it, right? When we can have that icon with no text whatsoever and people know it's no tell. And that is, that is the goal. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm confident we'll get there. 
Um, for now, we're using the word mark to gain more of that brand recognition, mm -hmm. and then we'll eventually. So another big project in in your team's uh, hopper is uh, something we call customer experience. And it extends from some of the more um, messagey and visual work in brand land, but it seeks to uh, articulate that in the interactions, the physical and service interactions that customers have with us. Talk to me about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when I think about customer experience, right, I think of, I've mentioned this, but I think of the entire journey, right? So it's the thinking, the buying, the moving, the living, and the renewing. And um, living in the space is obviously very, very important. And so one area we're focused on as a team right now is figuring out how do we ensure our, first of all, we identifying are we that Marriott, are we that Ritz? So figuring out who are we, uh, nailing that down, and then being able to translate that to tone of voice. This is how we act. This is how we show up for you. And so that that is currently in the works. Um, I think customer experience and brand are definitely intertwined mm -hmm. um and so but with brand it's like you can do all the work on your computer hit save mm -hmm. and then you just got to get people to like use those materials in customer experience you got to engineer the whole way we design and deliver and then interact with with customers the and from their is, perspective right and, and i think the training piece is huge i think someone mentioned it, mentioned the other day the people that marriott hires versus the ritz actually are, are they're, they're hiring from the same pool it's actually how they train hmm that is the differentiator. And so thinking about that from, from our angle, how do we make that happen? You know, training is a huge component of it, and I think we're definitely getting better at it, but I think that's that will be a huge opportunity for us. Yeah, um, once you start seeing the world as a designed customer experience, right. you start finding it everywhere. Like, the places where you ask which way is the bathroom, and then they like walk you all the way there, versus the places where like someone points a finger and is like that way, those were designed. Like, that isn't somebody's habits or culture walking into the space. And there are these little moments or people who address you by name or they look at you, you know, eye to eye or whatever. Like, those are things. And in, in the hospitality luxury world, I think a lot of that service design has been, has been deeply thought through. And I, and I wonder how often in more of the sort of functional and pragmatic categories, certainly in office, I don't think a minute has been spent by really anybody no, in the history and, of the world. And that's why I... I I'm so excited about the prospect of this being a huge differentiator for us. Mm -hmm. We're not just selling space, we're actually selling an experience. Mm -hmm. And I think given that we're selling to enterprise, we need to, be, we need to be able to do that well. You need some kind of differentiator, right, other than just the space itself. So, mm -hmm. um, so I think, again, we've come a long way and, mm -hmm. and really excited about Yeah, it's the next building. hill to climb. I mean, the uh, way that we have historically provided our customers something better than you know your average sort of building landlord group or whatever is well we have more locations and we can actually do a lot of stuff that the owners don't normally do we can do the design build and all that and that's very pragmatic and then i think we have engineered very carefully uh the difficult work of dealing with uh that initial search and helping our customers find the thing that they want and make sure that it's right for them and giving them confidence that we have some expertise and that we have a lot of visibility on the delivery dates. And yeah, yeah, we know that these things are still going to need to be fixed and we're going to handle those too. And so that initial process of discovering that we're an option, knowing that we'd be a great option for you, and then working closely with us to get you the thing you want, I think for companies that upfront part, has been pretty heavily um, thought through. And I think the stuff that happens from day two is where I think a lot of the remaining opportunity is for us. 100%. So one, one insight that, that we got from the customer experience research is 
the importance once they're in this space, that first month is critical. So I would like to brand it the magic month. Oh. And we basically do everything we can to hopefully exceed expectations. The magic month. So that, you, you, that, 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 the tone. You know, that totally comes from that Ian Carlson book, The Magic yes, Moment. Yes, probably. Moments. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that book. <laughs> I think I have about 10 pages left, sadly. Or the so. Disney people have a magic moments concept too, right? Like the Disney people have this concept that everyone who comes to the park is going to take a picture with a princess with the castle behind them. And so let's make sure it happens, it feels serendipitous, that the princess is like super enthusiastic, the picture comes out great, like that whole flow. So everyone can have that little miracle. 100%, yeah. And the magic month, yeah, that first month, it's kind of people are coming to to HR and they're like, I love this place, I hate this place, whatever. We have to make make that month special. Um, And and one thing that's also come out of this is, is the hierarchy of needs, right? And I think I always go back to that when I think about delivering service and space health. You are very old school in your theories. This Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't even say Maslow. I just, you know, the hierarchy of needs. But, mm-hmm. but think of, um, let's say you buy, you know, you buy an iPhone and you can take photos. You can't make calls. The product is fundamentally broken, right? It is not relevant to you in any way. Mm-hmm. And so in a similar way, we, before we provide customer experience, we need to provide that. We need to have that basic there needs to be like a baseline. Yeah, it's got to work. Yeah, right? it's got to yeah. work. And then from there, we provide relevance. Um, so that could be being able to weigh in on the productivity of the space, how it impacts culture. And then you put on the micro moments, and that's that's more of the icing on the top, which is what we're talking about here. Yeah, um, where it went beyond your expectation. It saved the day. You had no idea that Notel does this. Wow, that kind of stuff. Right, and, and the, that's yeah. great. But the product yeah. has to work. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, think of your landlord bakes you a cake because your, you know, Wi-Fi is not working. You're probably going to be like, go make sure you're fixing my Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop with the distractions. Exactly. And so I think, um, so that that is the goal. It's like we get these basics, we get the space health working um, and and provide that relevance. And then from there, we have these. Yeah, one of the frameworks uh, that I got back in my gadget days, because, you know, I used to make like phones and smartphones and stuff. Um, it's sort of a hybrid between IDEO and Nintendo. Mm-hmm. In the old days of product design, uh, one of the really powerful ideologies was simple and useful. Mm-hmm. And between Nintendo and actually Apple, uh, it's actually a trio. So it's simple, useful, and delightful. And with a gadget, if it's not simple, you can't figure out how to like send the facts. Like, you just don't even know where to start. It's a moment of tremendous frustration. You know, you just can't get in the building, whatever. And then useful, like, you do want to accomplish the thing that mm-hmm. you want to accomplish. Um, but then when it goes beyond that and it's actually delightful, there's, like, a cute computer, like, smiling at you icon mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or these little opportunities and these little right. creases of the experience. And the micro-moments. Yeah. And I would say that the relevance piece is the utility, right? It's mm-hmm. useful to you in some yeah. way. And then the basic, the product, right. is the, the space. It's just got to, like, actually work. If work. you can't figure out how to, like, turn on the heat, like, it makes right. no sense. Yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so that's going to be a huge project. And then I guess the, the, a third really big thing about um, the role of the customer understanding them and communicating to, to them is as we go deeper against the largest companies in the world. I, th- there really aren't that many places to get, um, you know, the core mechanics and the sort of rule books for serving huge enterprises. Everybody's a consumer. Everyone's been to like a Starbucks or whatever and been marketed to in various ways. And you have these casual notions of, of consumer marketing, and it's a well-developed theory, but like enterprise land, there's a thousand companies. 
Yeah. And they're everything. It's relationship building. At the end of the day, this is a relationship-driven business. So the more we focus on that, right, it's not just about spamming them with a bunch of emails, right? That's mm -hmm. not going to be effective. It's about really understanding the businesses we're serving, making sure that we know which aspects of their units are growing or shrinking, getting to know those business unit owners. They're the ones you need to get to know because they're going to go to the head of real estate and say, mm -hmm. get me this amount of space. I'm going to grow next year. Yeah. And, and it's a complex purchasing decision, which right. has a lot of different stakeholders. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think, but I, I do think it goes back to that. And so figuring out how do we, how can we do that well as an organization um, across, you know, sales and marketing, it doesn't mean you can't send emails or throw events, but making sure it, it makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have the right people in the room, it's tailored to them. And ultimately, yes, you know, you understand their business and they will respect that. I have long thought that, um, well, since you like, war and history <laughs> there is this like theory that you can build an army fast but it takes a hundred years to build a navy so it's like the americans had like no navy by the end of the 19th century and it took them a hundred years and now they have the most powerful navy and the british had this super powerful navy that they built from like you know whatever mid 1700s through 1900 and it, it was the most important one but it's really hard and slow and to think about it in a tangible way it's like it takes like five to ten years to build like one aircraft carrier I think the American Navy has like a dozen or 15 or something. And I think the next highest is a country that has like two, maybe Russia that has like two. And then the, a bunch of people have like one. And if it takes you five to 10 years to like do the first iteration of your most important type of ship, and then you gotta make more and more and more, it basically takes a super long time. And so th there are some things in business, which if you just have a big population and you institute the draft, you can get 100,000 soldiers and your army is like in business. But there's some things in business that, uh, you just can't build overnight. Like it requires a really deep and iterative and complex uh, creation of a bunch of systems. And I think an enterprise sales force is one of those. Many people naively, I think, when I see other startups and other companies, they sort of presume, let me go get some Rainmaker and we'll be fine. It just does not translate. That one person's relationships are no longer relevant. The thing they used to sell is no longer the thing they do sell. The customer, people change with the customer. It's actually like a big and complex operation you gotta deploy. And some of the things that I think we've been laying out are parts of our Navy building uh, undertaking. Mm -hmm. Right, you have to build that trust. Mm. And it, it isn't built overnight. Mm. And I mean, fortunately, we're, you know, we're working in an, in an industry where flexible office is the buzzword. It makes sense, right? No one can deny that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's clear product market fit. It's a clear need. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's then it's a matter of you know, convincing them how much, right, of their portfolio to, to dedicate to Flex. Or that they can, tr that they can rely on us or trust us. Right. I mean, like, when somebody already knows they want the thing, the one they are going to choose it from is the one who is reliable. Yeah. That reliable, knows the answers to the questions. smart. Yeah. That's... Maverick-y? Yeah. maverick -y, yeah, in the sense of... I think of Maverick as someone who draws outside of the lines. You're I do not, that. I yeah, do that. you're not you're right. going. You're not going to do follow we do that? the path. I do because think about it. We're first of all the you know the concept of of flexible workspace obviously was was there, um, but in, in a very different way, right? I think we we went about it and positioned it, um, and from a workplace strategy standpoint, being very forward with our you know design thinking, workplace strategy thinking. And I think for many large enterprises, they actually are in a process of change. It's not self-evident. So they 
want this thing, but they're helping their portfolio change, and there's a lot of expectations around their organization. So somebody who decides to go with us will have some really tangible, practical considerations, but they also face some risks. They are themselves a maverick that's making change in their consumption pattern and their portfolio over time. And to have a partner that will solve some of these problems, like that's the one you want, not the ultra conservative, no, we only do it this way sort of thing. I think we'll get to a point perhaps when we are a, a, a much more stable, like no big deal, choose this product off the shelf thing. Right. But I think right now for almost all of our companies, they're going through change on a business level and then certainly on the way that they're handling all their work. Exactly. And then yeah. one day they'll they'll buy an hotel just as they buy IBM. IBM can't get right? fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, hmm. do you think you've actually met everybody in, in the company yet? Like so many people mm, in a lot of definitely. our different markets are... Uh, deploying ideas that are being developed in in your department. Um, what do you wish they knew about God's work that happens in marketing HQ? Happens in marketing HQ. I think a, a big focus for us is going to be on educating and arming our internal teams. And so I guess my message to them is I'm very excited to work together, understand better how they're serving the customer, whether it's directly or indirectly, and figuring out how we can best support them and, and arm them so we can be a consistent global one hotel in how we deliver the product. Friend, partner, puppeteer, <laughs> Navy. <laughs> Thank you for being on in on Hello Hello. Thank you.